the sound of praise for your Sunday morning. Introducing Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center and Rabbi Joseph Potesnik of Religion on the Line. Now, on Talk Radio 77 WABC, here's the Reb and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Rabbi, it is good to hear you. It's good to be heard. voice of yours. Yes, it's good to be heard by you. You know, when we take off, we get calls, we get emails, what's going on? And I said to people, even God rested. You know, (laughs) we certainly, you know, have the right to take a little time off, but nice to be back. Uh, We're privileged today, Rev, to have someone in the studio uh, who served as lieutenant governor and became governor. Now, I know you're thinking it's Kathy Hochul, uh, but it's David Patterson, our great friend and a great public servant, the 55th governor of the state of New York. And I can only think how timely it is to have this conversation right now with all that's going on. So we're going to maximize his presence and participation here. We're going to keep him here as long as we can. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And, you know, interesting because the circumstances are, are similar in some ways to when he became governor. So we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, Governor, let me begin with this question. I have watched historically, and I see this not only in uh, government, but I see it in other professions, where the main figure tries to keep the second figure out of the limelight, where, for example, a governor has a lieutenant governor, but doesn't give the lieutenant governor the kind of attention one would think the second command should have. Am I accurate on that? You're not only accurate, but it's the reason why a number of people turned down running for lieutenant governor, because they knew that the only job they would have would be to call the governor's mansion early in the morning, and if he answered the phone, it meant that their work was done for the day. (laughs) What's the reason for it? Is it an insecurity? Uh, Is it just an unwillingness to have a little more time for the other person? Well, I, I think it's an insecurity. And also, it might be, you know, who the lieutenant governor might be. So, for instance, when Governor Carey was the governor, his lieutenant governor was a very feisty, opinionated person named Mario Cuomo, who was often giving his point of view as the governor's, and that created trouble for the two of them, and inevitably the governor took all of his staff away. So now Mario Cuomo becomes the governor, and he has um, the county executive of uh, Westchester, becomes his lieutenant governor, and I guess he thought that he was doing the same thing, and he gave him such a hard time that he resigns in 1984, and there is no lieutenant governor until he picks uh, Stan Lundeen in 1986. So sometimes it's just a clash of the personalities. Now, I must say, Governor Elliot Spitzer was not the slightest bit intimidated or in any way threatened by my presence. He let me run the energy policy for the state, he let me uh, run the uh, procurement to minority and women-owned uh, companies. He let me run the domestic violence prevention campaign and a couple of other things. He uh, had me put on the Democratic National Committee so I could go and learn what they were doing in other states. And I am forever indebted to him for that because neither one of us knew that 14 months into his term, I would become the governor. And a lot of what I learned during that time helped me. 
as opposed to coming in cold and all you've done is go to rib- ribbon cuttings, which is unfortunately what this Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul did. I am happy to report that she's had about five months to think about what she would do if she becomes governor. And she is prepared and she is ready. And uh, in a couple of days, she's going to get sworn in as the 57th governor of the state of New York. So, Governor Patterson, again, thank you for being on the program. Let me give you a proper introduction. Welcome, (coughs) Rabbi. Uh, So, what's it like? I mean, you, you, you suddenly find yourself having to step into the first chair. You've been leading from the second chair in a supportive role. And now you have to step, step into that first chair. You become governor. Uh, what what do you do? How do you get settled, acclimated? And I'm thinking about Kathy Hochul well, and what, so, what's ahead of her. Uh, the lieutenant governor has known since the end of February, uh, which was six months ago, that this was a possibility. I'm sure she's been preparing. I'm sure she's thinking about who she wants to work with. I'm sure she's thinking about how she's going to have to clean house, especially since everybody that worked there said it was a toxic work environment. For me, I can't answer the question, Rabbi. All I knew is I came to to work on March 10th, uh, 2008, and at 1030, they asked me to go to a family planning event, and I went to represent the governor because he hadn't gotten to Albany yet. Then at 12, they said, at 1.30, the Cardinal Edward Egan is coming with all the bishops. The governor's still not here. You have to do that meeting. I said, no way. <laughs> I said, that's his head of state to head of state. That would be like the Queen of England coming to Washington to see Bush. And he decides he doesn't want to do the meeting. And he sends Cheney. You can't do that. And um, I thought for myself, has everyone on this staff gone crazy? And I would find out in an hour. No, they didn't go crazy. They knew that the governor was resigning at 2.30. And they wanted me to have a few meetings under my belt at 1.30 when they told me I was going to take over. So, Governor... I saw some comments you made uh, in the news about this 14-day period between resignation and the takeover uh, by Kathy Hochul. You were critical of that. Well, I wasn't critical of that because I necessarily thought that there was some nefarious activity that the governor and his staff were going to be up to. I was critical of it because it's been the history of our country that sudden leadership changes occur. But what regulates them is not the feelings of the person who's going out of office. It is rather the needs of the state and the state government. So I just thought that by putting that out there, that they were taking extra 14 days since they didn't explain what it was, that it looked very suspicious. And and I still feel that way. But the time is almost up now. Um, My understanding is that the governor is going to give a farewell speech uh tomorrow and if that's the case um I, you know that's fine but in the interest of the state the the new governor is going to speak on Tuesday i think we should all step aside and defer to the new governor <clears throat> well said yeah I, that well that just speaks to some of the issues that uh, we're wrestling through with the exiting governor um, and his interactions with with uh, the, the public, uh, you have to be willing to say, okay, uh, circumstances have played out in such a way that I have to step aside. Let me now turn away from myself and for the good of the state, um, you know, set things up for the next person. But that's not the way it's going, is it? Elliot Spitzer 
said in his resignation speech, I demanded the accountability of others when I was attorney general. I demanded the accountability of others as governor. Now I demand the accountability of myself. I hereby resign. He would have made that resignation effective that day, but I asked him for a few days to bring the legislature back so that I could give my inauguration speech to um, a full audience of legislators, uh, judges on the Court of Appeals, other interested parties, and most of all, the people of New York. Governor Patterson, talking to Kathy Hochul, I'm sure you have, what is it you would say to her or did say to her in terms of what you learned from the quick assumption of office, both mistakes and things done right? Well, in July of... 2008, I called the legislature back to a session in August. First of all, August is when most people are taking vacation. Secondly, it was an election year. And I don't think they appreciated me calling them back. But they came back and they cut $2 billion off of a four-year out-year budget gap. But what I think they really didn't appreciate was the commanding tone that I used in that uh, uh, address to summoned them back to a special session in Albany. And they remembered, and they made me pay for it later on. So the first thing that I would advise any governor is, you may be higher in rank than some of your colleagues, but you're all part of the governance of New York State. Show them respect, and they will do it for you. I failed in that particular area. Another situation is whenever you're coming in to be on a staff that is populated mostly by your predecessor's choices, you had better do what the uh, famous writer Jim Collins wrote in Good to Be Great. Good to Great was the name of the book. And he said, if you want to change the culture of an institution, clean house. Mm. Get a lot of people out of there as soon as possible. Um, You don't replace them as quickly as you get rid of them. You hire slowly. You fire quickly. And I think that uh, that will help her as well. The final thing is, toward the end of my term, I invited some old friends from life that I always talked to and uh, sought counsel to come and have dinner with me at the executive mansion. They all wanted to see the mansion and take a tour of it, and I brought them there. And at dinner, the husband of a childhood friend of mine said to me, how many of these dinners did you have with people very close to you to talk about your mission what you accomplished, and perhaps what your regrets were. I said, well, this is the first one. Well, he laughed, and he said, you know what? You sound like a first-year CEO. (laughs) The reality is that those people are close to you that you trust. Their opinions and their ideas over a nice dinner and maybe a little red wine can go a long way. It can be exponential in the results you get from your, your work. I made the mistake of governing crisis to crisis. First, we had to get the budget passed two weeks after I came in. Then nine days later, we had to decide what we were going to do about congestion pricing in New York City. And then we had liquid natural gas on Long Island. Then we had a controversial decision in the Sean Bell shooting. And I just kept bouncing from one uh, difficult place into the other. I never stopped the train and decided to refuel it. And it's a regret I have. But it's my honor to offer to Governor Hochul as advice to avoid as a sudden governor.
I think that's the depth of perspective that someone uh, gains over time and experience, and it's beautiful to pass that on. In addition, Governor, you, you took over during a recession. And oh yeah, that was just a that was just a minor side. thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a sideshow. Global recession. Yeah, it's the wine and the food. The just major. a just a slight inconvenience, uh, <laughs> uh, Reverend. <laughs> but you know what is interesting about it is that I think that uh, Kathy Hochul is an administrator in Buffalo, so she has administrative experience. A House of Representatives member in Washington. So she knows how to work with her colleagues, and she's been on the governor's. Uh, she's been in, in the governor's office for seven years. So pretty much everything that goes on, she has witnessed somewhat from the outside. And I know they accused her of not being straightforward enough about the abusive conduct that went on in the, in the uh, office. There's no need need for her to comment about that when the outgoing governor hasn't left yet, and also many of the staff are hanging around. Who knows uh, in what way to retaliate? She will be the governor in a couple of days. And at that point, she will implement her program. And she's made it clear that there's a new sheriff in town and she will not tolerate a toxic atmosphere on her watch. We're speaking with Governor David Patterson, 55th governor of the state of New York, went from lieutenant governor overnight to becoming governor. And uh, we're seeing a similar scenario at the present time. Uh, governor Patterson, there's a phrase from uh, Hebrew, which says, honor and suspect. You have to honor people, but you sometimes have to be suspicious as well of their motives. How does a governor coming in rely on people who were attached to the previous governor, knowing I need their expertise, but at the same time, I'm not fully comfortable with them? How do you balance that? It's very difficult. So there was a situation, which I uh, referred to earlier, when um, the... Uh, police officers who shot Sean Bell were acquitted. And, of course, many people in the black and, and in the Hispanic community did not like that jury verdict. Now, my staff decided to send out a press release with my name on it asking the black community to um, be civil and not to riot and not to get, uh, you know, overly um, uh, vitriolic about that decision. But the fact is that I knew that there has not been a riot pursuant to a decision in a court case in the black community in New York ever. It's never happened. It's happened in other states, but not in New York. So I wasn't going to send that press release out. So I write that back to them. They said, well, that's very good, Governor, but we're going to send it out anyway. And I wrote back, when you send it out, leave with it. Because (laughs) there's certain times... When you've got to know who's making the final decision, and I think a few people, not a lot, but a few people who worked for Governor Spitzer, they thought that now that he was gone, they would be his representative in the office and do things. I don't even know that Governor Spitzer would have done this, but this is the challenge of leadership. You've got to set up a few tests where you find out who's listening to you and who's not, and who's not should find another line of work. Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
Governor, let me ask you a question. Um, Kathy Hochul already announced that she's going to run for the upcoming election when this short term is up. Uh, how does she balance that? Governing the way she needs to and is expected to, and at the same time, campaigning for uh, the next election? Well, I think she's going to have to meet with the legislative leaders before the next legislative session, which is January 2022. But it is only five months away. And try to figure out what their goals and timetables will be for that next session so that she gets everybody in and out on time because not only is she running for re-election, but this is the first time that uh, a, well, no, it's not the first time, but the primary has been moved back to June now. So she has less time than we would even think. She really only has 10 months. So she's going to have to move around. And I think she's probably used to the sort of grassroots way of going around and meeting a lot of people. You'll never get to a lot of people in a state with 19 million people living in it. Some of it's going to have to be high profile. So when she appoints her lieutenant governor, I would appoint the lieutenant governor and announce it someplace where the reaction is big with a lot of people around it. Around you, You've got to think in terms of reaching the most people as often as you can. That would be my recommendation to her. And pick a lieutenant governor that doesn't overshadow you? Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, you know... I don't see sometimes why it's such a problem if a lieutenant is governor is dynamic and articulate and and someone that the public likes. They can only it can only help the situation uh, when you hear that lieutenant governor and governor fighting and they haven't spoken in months, which is apparently what had happened in this situation. That's disconcerting to uh, I think citizens that people right at the top of government mm-hmm. can't find a way to relate to each other. David Patterson, uh, what, you can't creep into someone's mind, especially Andrew Cuomo. Do you see any foreseeable comeback running for re-election? Well, um, not to overly embrace religious terms, <laughs> but before resurrection, there has to be death. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so it, in other words, uh, that uh, that sounds New Testament, by the way. Yes. Uh, uh, you, you, so you can take know. credit. You can take credit. For that. OK, so <laughs> it, let's look at President Bush. Now, he wasn't in any scandal, but he was not happy when he left office. We were losing 500,000 jobs a month. The market was falling. Uh, the, the Literally, uh, we were in the midst of the 2008, 2009 recession. What President Bush does is he's quiet. For about two and a half years, and then he goes on the Oprah Winfrey show and takes total responsibility for the um, snags and the lack of organization after Hurricane Katrina in 2005. He then goes and makes another Mayakopa speech about his his foreign policy when he was in office. The work that he's done since he was out of office, I would dare say that President George W. Bush is more popular now than he was even after people elected him president. He showed his humanity, he showed his shortcomings, and he was brave enough to let the world examine them. If Andrew Cuomo has it in him to do that, he will not do what he did in early March of this year when he has a press conference, and at some point in the press conference he's tearing up and he's saying, sometimes when I talk people say that 
things that I've said kind of offend them, but it wasn't really intentional. And whenever you're apologizing and a sentence has nine sentences, you're losing credibility. So what I would have done if I was him is I would have said, you know something? I said some horrible things to some of my staff members. I asked questions of staff members about painful incidents in their lives that I had no right to ask. I totally violated the policy of um, keeping uh, a professional appearance in the office. I flirted a few times. I did all these things. I could go through how difficult it was to go through um, uh, the COVID virus and to have those uh, events every day and how that might have had an effect on me. But I'm not going to make any excuses. I was wrong. And whatever the penalty for it is, bring it on. I don't think that governor, the governor that could say what I just said, gets impeached. Because mm. sacrifice ignites compassion. We're all sinners. Mm. We've all done things wrong. And when we see someone else who does things wrong atone for it, we tend to accept it. Mm. And it would have taken a lot of steam away from those who were very interested in seeing the end of his term. You're listening to the Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. And Rabbi, I hope you got that principle. Sacrifice ignites compassion. Well, Did you I, get that? I think we all believe that. I think, but it has to be sincere. Uh, you know, repentance in our tradition as well as yours is predicated on seriousness, uh, sincerity. Uh, it has to be demonstrative. You can't just say, I'm sorry. You have to do, I'm sorry. You have to take steps that really uh, reflect that you are contrite about what you did. Uh, so people say, I see the change. I don't just hear the change. Uh, I see it. And I think that's, and, that's... And that was the problem with the governor. He apologized for something that if you asked people what he actually apologized for, they couldn't tell you. Mm. <laughs> and it, 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 it has to be something where it's very clear. Um, I had to atone for some conduct in my life the first day I became governor. And it was very difficult to get up and do that. But, you know, within three weeks, I was walking down the street with my wife once, and people came up and said, we're so proud of you all. And we hadn't done anything. I'd been governor for three weeks. But people see people who can um, elicit from others a feeling of uh, a positive feeling because they're being honest, because they're just telling you exactly what happened. Mm. Yeah, people want that authenticity in their leaders, even though it's risky because the same people that uh, shout, make him king, yell, crucify him. Now I'm in the New Testament again, Rabbi, but mm. it, the reality is that people want you to be transparent, but it's still risky business. But I, at the end of the day, I think people respect that more when you own the problem, when you own the failure. Uh, there's a greater level of respect for you. Uh, exactly. By the way, Rabbi, the um, Reverend's up to nothing. And I don't know how long. <laughs> no, no, no. I talked, I talked about, let me let me quote Maimonides with that repentance. Oh, so, that's right. Okay. Yeah, all right. So. Two to one. <laughs> and by the way, the word sincere, if I could borrow, let me go to the Catholic side here. Catholic with a small C. Uh, Sina Kera, without wax, because you know if you're sincere, there's no cover-up. Uh, you don't hide anything. Uh, and, and I think uh, that is what is a requirement in leadership. We don't expect leaders to be perfect. We expect them to admit their failings. And I know some people see that as a sign of weakness, uh, but uh, I, I think our traditions would say 
that's a sight of strength. Agreed. Yeah. If I could take you in a different direction, now, I'm talking about leadership. Everyone is looking at this horrific, horrific conclusion to the Afghanistan uh, story. And we all know how we get into it. But I think very often we want to know what's the exit strategy. And I can say that this is a textbook exit strategy. It's a disaster from many people's point of view. What's your take on this? So my feeling is if we waited 40 years and tried to get out of Afghanistan then, that it probably would have had the same result. I think President Biden started out with the right idea. He would take the hit for what uh, three other presidents had to sort of figure out, which is what to do about this situation. But where I thought he made a mistake is he was predicting without any real research how long it would even take for the Taliban to take over the capital in Kabul and then eventually the uh, president's living quarters. And if you're going to to announce this kind of withdrawal, I think you have to show a very strong presence. In other words, the first thing you do isn't to start re- removing troops. You send more troops in mm-hmm. because you're sending a message. We're going to leave, but don't mess with us until we're out of here. And we take those who are with us, uh, soldiers, allies, exactly. all with us. Don't leave them you know, in that vulnerable position. I think that's the mistake that was made here. Absolutely. Take them out first. And so then... No, well, that's the question. Yeah. T- taking why, why take out the troops first? The troops should be the last to right, go. Right. You evacuate the innocent, it, it, the citizens. It, it, yeah. it seemed backwards. And then, you know, obviously the citizens felt uh, badly. They were actually trying to hang on the planes. It was, it was mm-hmm. just horrible to, to watch it. But I think that, unfortunately, history may treat President biden well for his intentions but the execution has been far less than they had the ability this is the only thing militarily they have to think about right now we're not having trouble with north korea we're not having trouble with the chinese yet but but it 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 just looked like we were driven out Mm -hmm. more than we left of our own volition Mm -hmm. so let me even score two two i said to the reverend and i think you're familiar with the passage that when a body was found in the city the Leaders had to come forward and, and make a declaration and say, we did everything we could to spare this death. We did everything humanly possible to see that this would not be a conclusion. And I think that is something that our leaders have to answer. Was this the best possible plan? Did we do everything we could to prevent this kind of unfolding with people hanging on that C-17? You can't. That's a haunting picture. Uh, people uh, being attacked, trying to get to an airport. Uh more should have been done. I know it's easy for us to say sitting, yeah. sitting in the studio. It's very similar to when we left Vietnam, but the problem moving forward is there was a whole lot more video than when we left Vietnam. Yeah. And those mm. and the yeah. South Vietnamese fought for another two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah. Rabbi, there's a backstory to everything. You and I have learned that because we have navigated the halls of power and, and influence and some of us uh you know we the public not some of us but the public we don't always get the backstory mm-hmm. i'm curious to know what led to uh such a decision you know i have a guess reverend i don't think the military le- leaders wanted to to leave mm-hmm. president biden told them in other words it became an order from the president 
other than give the order, I don't think he sent people in to make sure that it wasn't just a withdrawal, that it was a withdrawal with honor. Yeah. Look at the polls. What, 90% plus want us to get out. But I think if you ask this follow-up question, did you want us to get out this way? You would not get 90% plus. No, it might be the other way. Yeah. 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 Governor, if we could turn our attention to more local politics here in the city of New York, uh, we've got potentially a new mayor coming in. And um, there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of hope around the supposed winner. And I've got to be careful here. You know, I don't want to declare who the winner is. We've got another election coming up. But, um, you know, what's what's your take on our city politics? And we're at WABC, Rev. We're at WABC. <laughs> Keep that in mind. I'm, I'm being careful yeah, here. Yes, you, know? you are. Well, there is going to be an election in November. There are two candidates, both of whom I know very well. And uh, both of them very intelligent men. Uh, we are in a predominantly Democratic city. So I think what a Republican candidate would have needed was for an a, uh, ultra-progressive like Maya Wiley to have won the primary. Then you might mm. have seen a controversial race. So let's assume for the moment that uh, Eric Adams is victorious. I was happy that in the middle of his campaign, and candidates tend not to do this, he shifted the focus from police accountability to not defunding the police and recognizing that whether you're a progressive, a conservative, or middle roader, the central issue in New York City right now is the escalating crime rate and also the the frightening way crimes are committed, many of them uh, against people who the perpetrator never knew or never saw before. Random mm. attacks on people, probably from people with mental illness. And I think that that really helped him as time went on. And if you look at the vote in the, in the Democratic primary, the moderates, in a sense, Adams and uh, Garcia, got most of the votes. And um, so I think that this would put Adams in a very good position to try to um, talk about bail reform and perhaps how uh, the problem they were trying to address in the bail reform legislation was solved, but they went too far and they created a situation where even the judges don't have independence to take Mm -hmm. a person who's had many prior offenses and to remand them as opposed to let them walk out the door. So I think that uh, he's making an adjustment as uh, Letitia James, who was a very active and vocal public advocate, has become a very steadfast, disciplined attorney general. So uh, I think the outlook for the city is actually very good. You know, one of the things I found uh, admirable uh, in the Adams campaign is that he didn't seek to make it an us-against-them in terms of landlords against tenants, business community against, you know, uh, workers. He tried to find a place where we all have to find... Uh, solutions to problems that impact all of us. Uh, this is not, you know, one that you own and I don't own. And I thought that's the right way to go because all of us are impacted by crime. All of us are impacted by people leaving the city, by a tax base that's shrinking. And you can't ignore that. I mean, and he went after the progressives. I gave him credit for that. Because you know, they, they saw it in, divide. In one of his commercials, he said, we can have 
public safety and police accountability at the same time. He reached out to groups Mm -hmm. that you would assume you have to be on one side or the other and pulled them both in to uh, receive their support. Wait a minute, Governor. You mean we can walk and chew gum at the same time? This happens from time to time. It's unique, (laughs) but it does happen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, Governor, it's always a pleasure having you on our program. Uh, Your depth of knowledge and experience and wisdom and insight is uh, really appreciated. I cannot tell you uh, how much you bring every time we have you on. That's why... You are a regular. Um, I have to fight with uh, the rabbi to get you on. But you know, <laughs> Let me tell you this. I, I'm, I'm in your corner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCradio.com. Let me, let me tell you, I see the governor's picture more now in daily papers than I did when he was governor. You pick up the paper, and there he is, WABC's on this program, that program. He is a welcome voice. Ed Koch used to be the voice of reason. Well, David Patterson also is blessed with that voice of reason. We're not going to let you go just yet, governor. We're going to take advantage as much as possible. Uh, we have a few minutes left. Uh the American people are very compassionate. People around the world are compassionate. Um, this Haiti crisis uh, is something that obviously we cannot ignore. And what I find very, very gratifying is I see Israel, for example, sending in uh, people there from Israel. I see various organizations of different faith communities responding and uh, collecting funds and goods. And um, I was talking to uh, Matthew Eugene on the city council, who's of Haitian descent. Uh, the one good thing they know is we're not going to turn our backs on them. You know, just in the time I was in office, it was a hurricane in uh, August of 2008. There was a deadly uh, earthquake in 2010 that killed 300,000 people Mm -hmm. on the island of Hispaniola, mostly in Haiti. And this country seems almost cursed. It is so unfortunate. I hope that President Trump is right and that he did not refer to the country in the negative slang that uh, he was accused of because this country tried to get its independence three years after we did the United States, 1779. They won their independence from France in 1803. And then in 1825, six neighboring countries, including the United States, forced Haiti to pay back a, a basically a retribution for the fact that they were now freed, and those payments lasted for 120 years, totally crippling the Haitian economy, and I think setting their course to the to the horrible position that they're in now. That is so important, that background, because uh, many don't know that the French told them that if they didn't pay back the loan, mm. they would send troops and invade the country. Uh, so they were under threat, and the international community did not treat them well financially because the rates of repayment were outrageous. They couldn't support it. Yeah. You know, 
Rev, you just use that phrase, the international community. And while, you know, uh, there's respect for the international community in some areas of life, when someone said the other day what's going on in Afghanistan, the international community is watching, I, I had a smile because what does that mean? What is the international community going to do about all of this? I look at the growth and the, uh, the dangerous growth of Iran and the nuclear race. I mean, the international community could have, could have crippled them years ago, uh, could have crippled North Korea. But the, the international community is governed by national interest. There isn't this homogeneous group that looks at someone and says, this is our responsibility to address it. So, Governor, what do you think when someone says the international community is watching? Well, the international community may be watching, but that's not the danger. The, it, the danger is that the international community is watching in silence. And as mm-hmm. Dr. King always warned us, those who stand silent when there is uh, wrongdoing are going to be as responsible for it as the wrongdoers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, by the way, that's Jewish law, that there's no such thing as an innocent bystander. There are guilty bystanders. If you stand and watch something being committed, you your hands are, you're, you're guilty as, as the one who committed it. Three to two. Look at that, Rabbi. He yeah. beat us three to two. He had two <laughs> prominent Christians, and he beat, so, he beat us three to two. So we have about a few minutes left. Rev, did you want to ask something before? No, you know, I, I'm just fascinated, uh, any conversation with the governor, because, again, as I said, he has a wealth of knowledge about so many different things. We had him on the air, and I talked about Quigley's uh, understanding of the rise and fall of civilizations, and the governor responded right away, saying 19 out of the 21 uh, empires that he spoke about uh, made it. They didn't fall. So, uh, you know, it's just wonderful having uh, you uh, again on the program, uh, Governor. And you're right. Every time I pick up the newspaper or see an article, you have been a busy bee in the media. And that's because we need the voices of the elders. I don't know uh, how much time we have. Well, we have a few minutes minutes, here. yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I was thinking we were talking about the millennial generation governor and how, you know, look, baby boomers, we criticized the establishment. We felt the need for change. We were dissatisfied with the social institutions. But this millennial generation that we are dealing with is not only dissatisfied with the establishment, but wants to cancel it. So it reminds me, Rabbi, of a story of uh, the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, who took over after his father died. Mm-hmm. And instead of, uh, you know, giving ear to the counsel of the elders, those who knew and had experience, uh, he submitted counsel to the counsel of his peers. And we have a generation now that is rejecting the counsel of the elders Mm -hmm. and seeking counsel from their peers. And that is catastrophic. As you know, the history, the nation of Israel was divided into two, the northern kingdoms and and Judah. And contrary to what the Bible says, ask your elders and they will tell you. But first, ask them. You may not agree with their advice, but you're certainly going to be enriched by hearing another opinion. Uh, yeah, we're approaching Rosh Hashanah, the High Holy Days, in which we sound the shofar, and you have uh, that resolute sound, strong sound. You have the broken sound, but you got to listen to the sounds. And doesn't that say to all of us there are many sounds out there? We live in a uh, you know noisy world, but don't cancel people out. Don't just rule out people because they make a different sound than you, because they speak differently or have a different opinion. Unfortunately, that's not the case today. 
Governor, before yeah. we let you go, why should a young person go into the public arena, public service today? I think that uh, we all watch television. We all see the news. We read about it. And we all have an opinion. But if you have an idea that you think might help to make things better, why not consider public service? Uh, it isn't the most lucrative career, but it is one where you meet more people. I have friends in every community of this state, uh, whether they were Asian, black, Hispanic, or white, whether they're upper middle class or even welfare recipients who I know personally, landlords, tenants, cooperators, even the homeless. And that would never have happened to me had I not gone into public service. Your experiences in life, the range of them, the latitude of them will be enhanced. I am so proud that I did it. And the one part that would probably surprise you, most of the people in public service are very hardworking, wonderful people. Yeah. Well, yeah. We are, uh, we're blessed by you. You have really uh, done so much for so many, and we consider ourselves part of your extended family. Uh, and thank you. And may you continue to go from strength to strength. You are uh, really a treasure, not a buried treasure, Governor. You are uh, a real live treasure. And I know you're valued not only at ABC, but people turn to you for guidance. And I hope the incoming governor uh, will seek you out and uh, listen because you're a voice of experience as well. So thank you so much. Well, thank you Absolutely. both. Uh, I mean, I've listened to you, Rabbi, since you were on since 1982. And I think if some others who are having a lot of problems right now had listened and heeded some of the wisdom from this program, they might have fared a little better. Yeah. Rev, that was uh, 1982, not 1982. Not 1982. <laughs> the rabbi, not the Rev. Yeah, yeah. Not the Rev. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. The Rev is a newcomer. Yeah. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Tasnick. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. You know, Rabbi, you asked me a question, you know, do I have something to ask him? We could have continued this conversation for another few hours because he has such a wealth of knowledge and experience on various topics, not just one, you know? One of the, so things, I, me. One of the things I admire about David Patterson and many others who I consider trusted leaders, the ability to say I made a mistake. I remember talking to a former mayor. I'm not going to mention his name because he didn't give me permission. But he said to him, I said, are you sorry for anything? He says, yeah, I'm sorry for some of the stupid things I said. And I thought, wow, to be able to say that um, speaks highly uh, of your your humanness. Uh, because yeah. all of us, all of us say things, even those of us in the clergy, sometimes wish we could take back something that we had said. And when you say it, you own it. So apologize for it. And, and that's the way it should be in every relationship. By the way, Rabbi, you heard about the, the husband who was trying to get his wife to embrace her problems, right? Mm -hmm. She hugged him. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That was the problem. 
<laughs> by the way, I was walking by a church recently. Interesting uh, sign on the bullboard. Uh, it said, uh, there is a stairway to heaven and there is a road to hell, which shows you the anticipated traffic going to the other place. Right? And I, yeah. So all of us look, as clergy, we ask people to aspire to go a little higher, reach to the heaven. Don't go to the, the other place. Uh, that that doesn't demand much, but to, to, to ask more of people and ask more of yourself. Uh, and I think one of the things that I take away from the program today is, Rev, you and I, we do a lot of public speaking, but today we also did a lot of public listening. Yeah. And to be yeah. able to sit with the former governor and to really, you know, hear what he has to say without imposing our thoughts, but he has questions, but I want to hear the answers. It's not about us all the time. It's about others. And I think of the many people who listen to the program and, you know, we meet them quite often. They say, thank you. Thanks for coming into our homes, uh, into our cars or wherever we hear you, but we're able to listen. And I say, what a blessing because too many people don't listen enough in this country to one another. Yep. We represent civil discourse and, and a relationship. Uh, I think it's a special relationship that you and, uh, you and I have enjoyed mm-hmm. for many, many years. Yep. And I think that's what allows us to have a platform like this and make a difference. So thank you to WABC and thank you to all the listeners. And uh, look forward to being with you next week. We'll be back again for another dose of the dynamic duo, the Rev and the Rabbi. <laughs>